Coming up on The Common Good, we're going to do an update on the coronavirus, and then we're going to talk about the impact on churches going forward. That's what's coming up on The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good. AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you join us on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, as always, find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, you can find us online at 1160hope.com and get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. How are you this Thursday, my friend? I'm doing all right. I, uh, I'm recovering from having seen snow yesterday. That was mm-hmm. traumatizing. Uh, I feel like. I feel like the bar is set so low now on what I'll celebrate. Like waking up, I'm like, oh, phew, no snow. It's gonna be a good <laughs> There's grass. <laughs> I'm just trying to look for the winds, man. It, you know, your, your daily weather report, I did just tell my son it's supposed to be in the mid-50s in this weekend. So just hold on one more day. Yes, sir. That's some good news right there. One more day. Well, uh, as we're still all in our homes and navigating uh, the, the present situation in the news, we'll continue to talk a lot of coronavirus and the effects it's having on on our culture and on the church. And as has been our custom, just trying to hit the high points of what's going on. So let me pick a couple of them and and have you uh, maybe um, chime in on them. And at NBC News, they talk about how today uh, the White House is drafting a plan to reopen the economy. And there seems to be this push, and I wonder where, how you feel about this, because part, one of the major spots that's happening is in your home state of Michigan right now, yeah. uh, of people, it, it really seems to be bubbling to the surface of let's stay the course of what we're doing, and what we're doing isn't, is, uh, is too drastic, and it's hurting our economy too much. And you'll see, you see states like North Carolina and Michigan and others where people are literally protesting. Um, and, and President Trump seems to be pushing to get the economy going, although today his economic council and I believe the governor said this can't happen until there's better testing. Right. And, and all that to say, uh, it does feel really murky out there right now, doesn't it? Yeah, I think murky is the perfect word for it. And it's interesting. We talked a little bit yesterday, too, about the, uh, the phenomenon of people who are experts in some field weighing in on some of these conversations like they're an expert in every field, you know, yeah. and I maybe maybe that's not new to social media. Uh, I know that it's not new to social media, but it, it has been interesting to see. I mean, even people that I know and respect a lot, like just aggressively disagree on uh, what the best path forward is right now. That's right. That's right. And so that's right there in the forefront of the news. Uh, President Trump, if he hasn't already, that was going to be the focus of his uh, briefing today. And it's just going to be interesting because now what's happening, and this gets into our second story, state governors uh, are kind of taking it upon themselves to really make the decisions for their state. So you heard about how some of the uh, uh, like California and Seattle, uh, Seattle is not a state, Washington and Oregon, <laughs> they kind of are banding together. And a lot of the Northeast states are kind of banding together. Uh, and just today, there came out uh, a, a coalition of Midwest governors, which is uh, important for us because our state is part of this. It says Governor Pritzker and his regional colleagues are working together to judge when best to start easing stay-at-home restrictions and reopen their state economies. Uh, that would be uh, Illinois Governor Pritzker, Michigan Governor Whitmer, 
uh, Ohio Governor DeWine, Wisconsin Governor Edver- Evers, Minnesota Governor Walls, Indiana Governor Holcomb, and Kentucky Governor Bashir. So now you've got kind of this Midwest block of governors going, no, we're going to decide together mm-hmm. when as a region we are going to get together. Uh, what, what did you think about when you first saw that? Is this a positive step or does it just kind of add to the confusion? <laughs> <laughs> or both. Uh, can it be both? I don't yeah, know. I think so, actually. I think so. It's, I mean, I guess there is something to be said about everyone expects it to be a little confusing for a while. So there, yeah. it feels like there's a general sense of like, okay, these are unique times. So maybe the course of action requires some unique strategies. Uh, I Honestly, I find myself flip-flopping almost every time I read a different article I'm like okay that seems like a good idea no that seems like the better idea like it, <laughs> it is very interesting to me uh to have some self-reflection self-assessment right. at actually how little how how little I'm confident I actually know what the right path forward is I'm really glad you said that because I felt that way so much this morning watching I was watching the today show and reading some stuff online going like with each article, I was like, yeah, we need to really push hard to reopen. And then the next article I read, I'm like, we got to shut it down for a while. <laughs> right, right. Kind of all over the place. And so uh, still need to figure out who are the people we trust and, and what are, you know, what is walks that balance, I guess, between prudence and, and uh, you know, and fear and whatever else it might be. But our friend Governor Fauci, uh, he finally weighed in on something very near and dear to my heart right now. Did you say uh, our friend? He is. He's everybody. He's the country's friend right now, Dr. Fauci. Uh, he's like all of our doctor right now. <laughs> uh, Dr. Fauci weighed in on uh, sports. And uh, I don't know how much you're feeling it, but I'm feeling it deeply. Like when I turn on the TV, I'm like, what am I going to watch right now? Although we got the Michael Jordan documentary coming on this weekend. Right, right. Um, That's but deal. just the longing for sports. And again, when you watch a show and they'll be like, no sports for a year. Uh, but what... What seems to be uh, what Dr. Fauci said and others have said is that it seems to be a uh, one of the things agreed upon right now seems to be no fans for a while, which makes sense. Right. None of these 80,000 person stadiums all filled up. Uh, But Dr. Fauci came out yesterday and did promote and said with the right amount of testing and if people were quarantined that like you could send baseball to one area of the country and put them all there and start playing and do the same with basketball or whatever else. And why, while it looked really complicated, all that I took from it was Dr. Fauci said that we might have sports coming back soon, and that was enough for me right there. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's a good idea? Uh, obviously, they, they need to really ensure the safety uh, for the players, but if they could do that, like if they found an area, uh, be it like Arizona, right, where there aren't nearly the cases that you have in other places, and they quarantined them for a while, and then they could – you know, you, nothing's perfect. Uh, but I think if they could get, you know, if they could with relative safety get there, I think it would be awesome. I think people would rally about it. It would be kind of that another light at the end of the tunnel. But obviously you don't want to do it if you're opening up the players and whoever else is involved to unnecessary risk. But if it's, you know, if, if they can ensure these guys safety to a reasonable, reasonable level, whatever reasonable is for those guys, uh, I would be all for it. I know that I don't have much skin in the game there. I just miss baseball. <laughs> right, right. Which I totally, which is interesting because I, I imagine that's a little bit of how it's going to look for churches too. I don't think it's going to be a, yes. we're off to the races. I think they're going to, they're going to open, okay, gatherings of 50, gatherings oh. of 100, oh. gatherings of 200, 500, which, you know, puts 
multi-sites like us in a weird predicament because we have campuses that fit, you know, various different tiers of those. Not, it's just an interesting thing that strategize, like how, how yep. will we sort of onboard into sort of this next reality? And again, I realize this is just guesswork, but it's been something I've been thinking a lot about as, you know, our roles as pastors, how, how do you navigate that well? And what are, what are the options going to be? Yep. And it's weird. It's weird to have so many unknowns because I feel like at the end of all of these segments, I'm sort of like, well, Who I guess knows? we'll see. We'll yep. find, you know what I mean? Like you're just sort of in it with same with sports. You're in kind of this holding pattern right now. It's, yep. it's, a, it's a unique feeling. You, you just segued us really well to next segment because I've got a tweet for you that is going to make some guesses about the church going forward. So uh, we will talk about that. One last piece of news, and this might, I'm saving the best news for last, especially if you remember <laughs> my upbringing. John Bon Jovi said that while he has to delay his new album, he is releasing a new song that is about the coronavirus. Oh, and, no uh, kidding. And uh, our guy, John Bon Jovi, doing his part to lift spirits, my friend. <laughs> our guy. That's your guy. My guy, Dr. Fauci, and my guy, John Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you you really uh, rubbing some shoulders, huh? I am. I am. Oh, coming elbows. Up. Rubbing elbows. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, shoulders. That's, that's not good social distancing <laughs> right there. <laughs> uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about something Ian just touched on, a tweet from someone by the name of Andy Crouch, uh, talking about what pastors and churches may be uh, can expect in the months coming forward. We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Thursday afternoon. Sun is out. We are glad to be together. Uh, even if we're all in our homes, we're glad to be able to connect uh, with technology uh, you can find us if you want to keep seeing some of the stuff we're reading, some of the stuff we're talking about. Go find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You can find old podcasts at our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're also, you could go to 1160hope.com. Uh, real interesting tweet thread from Andy Crouch. He is a partner at Praxis Labs and host of the Redemptive Edge and author, kind of a thinker, all things kind of church and Christianity. He had an interesting kind of tweet thread that I want to read. But before we do that, uh, Ian, tell us uh, a little bit about our good friends at Thrivent. I'd also like to tell you about Thrivent via a tweet thread. So it'll be a series Perfect. of 280 character statements. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so hashtag <laughs> Thrivent Financial. They're a uh, Fortune 500 non-for-profit. They've been around for over 100 years. I have been a Thrivent partner for a uh, Thrivent partner, Thrivent member. Yep. All the partners a uh, thing there. It's not a law firm. Anyway, <laughs> I love Thrivent. Have right. Yeah. I love them. They've been incredibly helpful for me. There's something about partnering with the Christian organization, especially when it comes to your finances, because I, I feel like they get certain things that, you know, other institutions maybe wouldn't. So I highly encourage you to check out Thrivent.com. Uh, but if you're looking for a career change, though, there might be a really, really great opportunity for you if you're entrepreneurial or you just want to be your own boss. If you want to learn more, you can visit Thrivent.com slash careers or just call 630-598-2128. As I said, Andy Crouch, he's a partner at Praxis Labs, host of the Redemptive Edge, author of TechWise Family, Playing God, Strong and Weak, and Culture Making. Uh, so he's pretty prolific here. Let me read this tweet. And uh, Ian, I'd like this gets at exactly what you ended last segment talking about. He says, uh, if I were a pastor of the model U.S. congregation or modal, which he, which he defines as the most common uh, type of congregation, right? If I were a pastor 
of the modal U.S. congregation, granted the huge diversity within that set, I would be planning for 50% decline in giving over the next 12 months, no gatherings of over 100 allowed for at least a year, gatherings of 10 to 50 allowed this summer in most localities. Hmm. He then goes on to say, of course, I hope we are surprised on the upside in all cases, but this is what I would plan for. He says, I don't know what the average congregation would be, and median doesn't seem quite right here. Just trying to acknowledge it's very difficult to generalize about U.S. congregations. And a fascinating response is going on here on this tweet thread. Uh, but all that giving, no gatherings over 100 for a year is his guess, 10 to 50 for the summer. Uh, when, you, when you hear that, is that like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's much more than I ever thought? Or is that like, yeah, that's kind of how this feels like this is going? It's not necessarily how it feels like it's going, but that does not surprise me. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. if I'm leading with my gut, that's not how my gut has felt. But just simply based on what I'm reading, who I'm reading, um, that that seems about in line. Like, it's interesting. You know, we've talked about Dan White Jr. before, and yep. he actually commented on this tweet. And he said, potentially, it's time to rethink gathering through the lens of missional minimalism. We might be at our healthiest when we are stripped down to our essentials. And of course, people are now asking, what are essentials? And he's saying, each local body will have to discern those. But that's an interesting take, especially thinking about our conversation a couple of days ago between Kerry Newhoff and uh, Michael Frost and Jeff Holsklaw about, is this a really good thing? Is this a terrible thing? Is it something <laughs> in between? Um, but I have a tendency to really trust Crouch's instinct. I think he's uh, yes. brilliant. I think he's had a finger on the pulse for a while now. Um, so this isn't just somebody. This, this is, I know it's Twitter, so it's, but it's not just like random guesswork. Like for right. him to say something like this, to me, I, I, the verily, that I give pause to statements like this, and I think he might be more right than not. This might be a dangerous question. I don't want to get you in trouble. So um, umbrella of mercy, you're not speaking for your church here, but you yep. are in a really big church yeah, with yeah. lots of campuses and this and that. Do you, I, again, I'm not asking you to say what community is going to do, but do you even have a way to like, like, how do you think these conversations will even go on? Like for you guys to be like no gatherings over a hundred for a year really changes your model. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For and, sure. Uh, is that something exciting for you to talk through? Do you feel like, or is that like, oh my gosh, like our church is just going to need to be fundamentally different and that scares me? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think at my most instinctual, I like problem solving. So mm. in a purely theoretical space, it's like, okay, this is unique. My brain likes the challenge of like, never had to think about this before. So if it was just in a vacuum where it didn't actually affect people and families and communities on the bottom line and all that kind of stuff. It's just like, Ooh, that's an, Oh, that's an interesting case study. Um, it changes things a little bit when it's like, Oh gosh, this really does uh, alter in some ways, a lot of our strategy and infrastructure, but not entirely though, because yeah. community has been such a prolific church planning community. And, you know, because of the new thing network and because of our high emphasis on small groups and discipleship and three C Christ followers and all that stuff, a lot of that is still all there, to be honest. The thing that it probably most um, intensely disrupts is the Sunday morning gathering, That's obviously. Right. And what I find so interesting is the ways that we're already even talking about 
how, how do we mobilize? How do we live missionally? How do we help equip other people to do the same? Like, it's, this, it's the same language, same target. It's one of the things I think community does exceptionally well is there's just like laser focus on keeping the first things first, even in the light of a new reality. So I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see the way that some of this is actually played out because, you know, we're, we're writing messages for late June already. And mm. even in those brainstorms, we're having to think through, okay, so if we're still online, if it's all still digital, maybe this illustration, if we're not, maybe this, we're ha- we have to kind of still think and plan and strategize, at least in the teaching portion through both lenses, um, yeah. which is tricky. That's definitely, there's some stuff that do- just doesn't translate to a purely digital experience, but yeah. you know, like with community cares, like those teams are all like off and running, like caring for people in the community, finding new ways to do it, new ways to recruit and train people. Like it's been a, honestly a really uh, incredible thing to see like how quickly the team and staff of the church is just like course corrected and we're, we're off. Like we're doing yeah. it. I've yeah. been really impressed. It's interesting. I, I, we, I think I even just said it a week ago, right? Where I said, man, that first week we're all back together. It's going to be like a second Easter. Everyone's going to be there. And now it's like said into me like, oh, wait, no, there's going to be this in-between period where even if yes. the government doesn't say 50 people or less, people probably aren't coming back anyway to be in right. a crowd. <laughs> like who's, you know, people are probably going to be like, I'm good for the summer. Like I'll just stay home and, and we'll keep doing it. And so I think even if Crouch is off on what the mandates are, I think churches need to be thinking in terms of, yeah, but still most likely your people are going to be a little skittish, rightfully so, Mm -hmm. about being sitting right next to somebody and being right there. And so I do think uh, I was probably wrong and a lot of us were probably wrong to be like, once they, you know, once they tell us we can be back together, we're all back together. No, I don't think uh, so. I don't think so. And for that reason, I think even the things you're saying are important. Like, okay, even if the government says, hey, you can meet and do whatever you want, but uh, it's still not going to look like it did. And that's okay. Right. Um, it, it is, it, it will continue to force the conversation of what is the church. That's right. And, uh, and who are we? And that conversation now is going to become even more intense because it's going to go uh, even longer. So I'm kind of excited for it. Although, uh, you know, I kind of go by the day because sometimes it's kind of old doing stuff on zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Coming up next, speaking of zoom, Christianity today wrote an article Uh, about Zoom and Facebook and church technology that we're going to tackle next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. We are glad uh, to have you with us. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Uh, you can find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, we really do appreciate everybody who does that. We appreciate that kind of community we have in the whole podcast world. So thank you for that. And we'd love it if you uh, would let others know about it. Uh, before we jump into this article uh, in Christianity Today, which you can already find up at our Facebook page, Uh, let me tell you about something we're doing here at the station. You know, during this coronavirus pandemic, we know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or even reduce just their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. If you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, 
Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word. 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out a brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Totally free, no catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Nice. Uh, at Christianity Today, uh, this, just today they put this article up, says this, see, I zoom you with my own hand. <laughs> David Peters writes, I don't like it when technology gets between me and the church. Neither did the Apostle Paul. Lots of us on Zoom right now, and, and obviously we're separated from our people. What's his point in this article? Well, normally I would sort of just summarize it for you, but his first couple of paragraphs are just so good. I'm just going to read it. Go for it. He said, uh, for years, those of us leading churches use social media to tell people what we were doing. Now, during lockdowns, social media is all we're doing. Zoom prayer, Facebook live sermons, YouTube organ pieces, we're all very <laughs> online. Even clergy who pride themselves on their Luddite status are learning how to minister in this purely digital world. Honestly, I hate it. Even, <laughs> even though I'm known affectionately as the TikTok priest, I love praying the Psalms IRL, which stands for in real life, and with people, preferably in an echoey stone building. Now on Zoom, I mute everyone but the main reader so it doesn't sound like all the demons of hell are screeching their way from the depths. <laughs> as much as I hate it, though, I know that adapting to a changing world and adopting new technology is what Christian ministers have always done, all the way back to the apostles. After all, what are the New Testament epistles but remote pastoring with the technology at hand, mm. which is such, such a great concept. Yeah. Several weeks before the stay-at-home orders began, our small group gathering of morning prayer faithful uh, started reading through 1 Corinthians. Every day's reading took our little group through Paul's directives about divisions in the church, sexual ethics, how to eat together, and how to handle church meetings that got a little rowdy. Even through the differences of time and language, his words spoke directly to our struggles as a new church plant in the suburbs of Texas. We were a few chapters in when we started meeting on Zoom instead of at our usual round of coffee shops. Once we moved entirely online, I started to feel an even deeper connection to Paul's pleadings, commands, tone, and especially my frustration with our virtual situation grew. We got Zoom-bombed by a stranger interrupting our meeting with a nude picture and, ta and cackling laughter. I started using passwords to protect our Zoom meeting and had some trouble getting in. And it wasn't just our elderly who were having trouble with the tech. It was hard for everyone, including me. Because there was a great need for prayer, we prayed three times a day, morning prayer at nine, the great litany at noon, and evening prayer at five. We were praying more than ever, but I felt the ground uh, our fledgling community had gained in the past year was slowly slipping away. Mm. My neck hurt from craning it at my iPad screen and also from the stress of our situation. Mm. So, again, I appreciate uh, his general posture towards just owning the fact that he doesn't like it. Yeah. We've talked a lot about pastors who are sort of like, look at the bright side or here are the possibilities now, which I think are still – worth talking about, but I, I haven't read a whole lot of clergy who just outright said, you know what? I hate this. This just yep. isn't, I'm not enjoying this at all. And you've said it a little bit though. Do you still feel that way? Or are you like, are you warming to this new digital reality right now or, or not? So oh, it'll, it'll never replace, uh, for me, you know, kind of being with people and being, um, just in that relational proximity with people. Um, you know, I don't think I would do what he did and just be like, I hate it. Uh, I'm okay right. with it. But I never thought of that take of the apostles using the latest technology from far away. Yeah. That's interesting that like, yeah, they were using the most up-to-date means of communication that they had right. uh, to go. And But I get what he's saying. Like 
we can have all the excitement in the world that we want and, and churches, ours, yours, all churches that I know are doing as best a job as we can to keep people connected, keep things moving. Uh, but it, man, it's hard to keep relational momentum. It's just hard right, right. Uh, when, when you can't be in relation with each other. And, and I, as someone who's planted a church, I can't imagine being in this situation when you're trying to start a church, like he just said that he is like, uh, that's gotta be hard. So I, I can feel for him. And, uh, yeah, I, I, let's put it this way. I'm making the best of what we have right now and, and making some good connections. God's doing some cool things and I'll be glad when it's over. Well, and he's talking to not just about like, Oh, I miss being around people, but he's talking about the Eucharist and he talks about yeah. how for him, that was kind of the moment that he lost it when they began to really kind of take a deep dive in their small group. And he, he says here, in spite of all this distance, though, Paul so deeply loved this church that he took the technology he had and worked remotely. And I've actually, I taught a thing at Wheaton uh, last year about technology and how it's interesting because in some cases, uh, Paul says, um, I'd like to be with you in person, but it's, I think it's better that I send a letter. And then other times he says, I'd, I'd like to say more in this letter, but it's actually better that I tell you in person. Like yeah. he seemed to understand sometimes the technology here is good and other times it's actually better f- for me to have this conversation with you face to face. And we don't have that option now. And part of what I think is so interesting here, he says um, with pen, ink and vellum, he poured his heart out into them in his own special style or as at grumpy theology, put it on Twitter. <laughs> if you're, if you're sitting here thinking that since you can't meet with your churches, you have to set up a live stream. Remember that the apostle Paul couldn't meet with his churches. So he just sent them 20 page rambling letters filled with every emo thought, (laughs) (laughs) which is a great thought though. And I think that's so, he says, he goes on, he says, Paul's letters written in a language that could be understood by people from many ethnicities were carried on the Roman road system, a marvel of ancient and modern engineering. And at the end of this letter, he asked them to do for each other what he could not do himself to greet one another with a holy kiss. Mm -hmm. I'm glad Paul and and his fellow apostles worked with the latest technology of their day and I know that the people who are watching today's pastor Zooms, live streams, and Instagram stories are thankful we are doing yeah. the same. I So I'm going to read this one again later today because yeah. I just think that it was like such a, a pastoral article in general, and I, I'm grateful for the perspective. And if you're a pastor out there, a church leader, like I know my experience right now is feeling like I'm finding my way in the dark. We all do like trying to figure it out. But one thing I've been so thankful for is the amount of people in my church who have just said, Hey, thanks for basically, basically thanks for trying. Thanks yeah, for doing right. what you're doing to try to keep us connected. And, uh, and, and I would just tell people out there, like, keep trying, even if it feels weird, even if it's not, you know, the same quality of what you're able to do at other times. Like, I just think people, uh, they, they feel um, loved and cared for by just the effort of connecting. And so, yeah, this article is great though, man. I, I think it's uh, the linking of Paul, like his distance from the people he loved in his churches of what we're going through now. I hadn't quite honestly ever, I hadn't thought of that in this. And I think it's really powerful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's the kind of thing that I, I hope I see more and more pastors encouraging other pastors, because I think a lot of us are feeling the same thing. And uh, in general, wherever you're listening from, uh, if you are part of a church where the pastor's doing their best to navigate this, I guarantee you that they would appreciate a note, a text, an email, just something, hey, we see you trying. Thanks thanks for what you're doing. 100% true. So coming up next, I want to shift gears a little bit, uh, and I want to read a story that happened in a church uh, over Easter in Texas uh, that kind of blew my mind. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. (laughs) 
everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us here on this Thursday afternoon. I want to uh, encourage you to stay during our second hour. We're going to be joined by David Fitch, which I know is an interview that both you and I have been anxious to do and are excited to have him on the show. Yes. Uh, so uh, be sure to either stick around or catch it on the podcast later. Uh, that's going to be David Fitch coming uh, in the five o'clock hour. But uh, again, if you miss it, you can find it on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com. And also get our podcast wherever it is. Uh, you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review, catch up on interviews we've done, other things we have talked about. All right. So I heard, I read this story and as I read it, I didn't know whether to be really sad or really like kind of uh, emotionally happy, like, like goosebump happy. So I'm going to read it. I don't normal. We don't normally do this on the show or just read a story. I'm going to read it. Ian has not seen it yet. So I want to get your, your, your initial reaction. Okay. You ready? Here we go. The Reverend Earl W. Buddy Duggins, a longtime Texas pastor, died from a heart attack on Easter Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, shortly after delivering an impassioned sermon Mm. in which he lamented not dying with his wife, Connie, who passed two years earlier. He was 81 years old. Duggins, who led the Forest Home Baptist Church in Kilgore, Texas, shared near the end of his sermon that was broadcast on Facebook how he wrestled privately with the death of his late wife, to whom he was married for more than 59 years. He said, I close with this true testimony from my heart. I prayed about it, and God told me to get it. Just about two and a half months ago, my wife of 59 years plus passed, uh, plus passed and died. I was by her bedside. I kissed her lips just seconds before she drew her last breath. My family was there. My girls, one of my grandsons, and my son-in-law were there. We, of course, wept. I said these words, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Over the next few days, Duggan said he put on a stoic front, even leading his wife's funeral service. After that, however, he struggled. I was having a difficult time sleeping. I'd cry myself to sleep every night. My family stayed with me for a few nights. Then I stayed over at my daughter's house for a few nights. They would say, how are you doing, Dad? And I'd say, oh, I'm fine. But I'd cover up my head in my little room, and I would cry and cry and cry. And after a little while, the Lord spoke to my heart. I began to thank God. Duggins then explained that even though he wanted to die with his wife, God explained to him why he was made a widower and it gave him comfort. The Bible came to my heart in everything. Give thanks, he said, and I wanted to be in God's will. So I began to pray, Lord, I thank you for the 59 years, four months, 13 days and one hour that we had together. And then it came to me, why am I left? And it bothered my heart. Uh, here's my wife that we wanted to go together and now she's gone. So I said, Lord, why am I left? And the answer uh, has come to my heart. He said, I left you here to do nothing more than to preach the gospel of Jesus that you've been preaching for 55 years. So I stand today, this resurrection day to tell you, Jesus Christ is alive. He has helped me. He has blessed me. I praise his holy name today. Church members then told the Kilgore News Herald that shortly after he preached that message, Duggins began to feel unwell, and they called an ambulance. He was Mm. taken to the hospital where he died of a heart attack. Uh, And then they go on to describe him, to describe this life of 59 years that he had with their wife. They started seven churches. He preached at 400 revival meetings when he was younger. Wow. Uh, And it goes on and on. I read that story, and, man, I don't know why I almost started crying. Like this guy going, 
I miss my wife that much, but he's like, I'm going to keep preaching. And he preaches that sermon. And within hours after saying those words passed away, I don't even know what the point is to make about it, except that I had like goosebumps when I read that story. Well, I know that you just said you don't know why, but I kind of am compelled to ask you why, why, why do you think that this story in particular almost moved you to tears? Like obviously all of us are in a much more vulnerable state right now in this cultural moment than we maybe have yeah. been in a while. That might be part of it. But what about this story really like clearly resonated with you? Yeah, I think a couple things, uh, you know, it felt like uh, the love that this guy had for his wife after 59 years was uh, really impressive. Yeah. And the fact that he said 59 years, X number of months, X number of days and one hour <laughs> was like, wow. Uh, and you could just feel the immense pain, right? 59 years, this was his soulmate. And, uh, and so you feel the beauty of that sort of covenantal marriage love. And you're just like, oh man, that is, uh, I, you know, I feel that way about my wife, but I want to feel about that way about her after 59 years. And you're like, man, like that's possible, right? Like that's right, possible. Right. And then secondly, uh, you know, right out of scripture that we read, um, you know, he ran the race right up to the end, right? He fought, he, he, he ran the race and lived that life of faith right up until his last moment. How many sessions, how many uh, segments have you and I done about ending really well and not like yeah. just coasting at the end of your life? This guy preached an Easter message, which is the most fun message of the year usually to preach, right? Right. And he gets up there and he opens up his heart about, uh, about, how much he's struggling with his wife's death, but what God has taught him. And like, I just need to preach Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it almost has this feel of like Elijah riding off in the chariot, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's what I loved about it. It was even at the age of 81, a preacher opening his heart, being open about his struggles. Uh, and then what he really longed for deeply happening a couple hours later uh, yeah, it was like, uh, you couldn't write that as a movie script, right? If, if you wrote that as a movie, you'd be like, that's a little too cheesy. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, just, I think it's that picture of love, that picture of commitment to the gospel, that picture of love for the church. And then ultimately, you, you know, that idea of being reunited with his wife, who he wanted to be with, I just think was beautiful. Well, I, and I know that's not the main point of the story either, but like, I also found it uh, so encouraging that he was so vulnerable about his grief. Like he yes. mentions a couple of times crying himself to sleep or turning his head and crying and crying and crying. Like I don't actually know a whole lot of pastors who have had the courage to, to be that kind of vulnerable in front of their people, but yeah. anyone who's lost anyone that close to them knows that's probably what happened, you know, which yeah. is, that's the interesting thing about vulnerabilities. I think sometimes like we feel the need to pretend that we handled it better than we did, even though, everyone else who's walked a mile in those shoes knows like what actually happened or likely what actually happened. And I, I don't know, there's something extra beautiful, not only about it being Easter and his subject matter, but also his yep. willingness in front of his family, his church community, his flock, his church. I mean, yep. to, to have that kind of raw vulnerability and transparency and to have that be his last sermon. I don't know. There, there is, I totally agree. There is sort of a goosebumps yeah. component to all of that. And I think that's, I think that's really, really inspiring. And let me just, I'll close this by reading how they ended his obituary. They said, Buddy enjoyed traveling across the country with his grandchildren. He was a sharp dresser, loved Texas barbecue, and was a lifelong Elvis fan. Hmm. Buddy's greatest legacy, though, is the thousands of people he led to faith in Jesus Christ. 
In fact, the final words of his Easter sermon, spoken just moments before he went to glory, were, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's how his obituary ended. So uh, just wanted to share that story. It's a little different than what we normally talk about it, but uh, so much to be inspired by living right to the end, living we are calling right to the end, loving your spouse, and uh, hopefully you find that encouraging. Well, coming up next hour, uh, we're going to talk about the good news out of Willow Creek last night, and then we're going to have the opportunity to talk to David Fitch. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about good news out of Willow Creek, and then David Fitch is going to join us for two segments. You're going to want to listen to that here on The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you join us. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, join us on Twitter, Common Good Talk. Online at 1160hope.com. And get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we're grateful for those of you who do that. As we mentioned there in the open, David Fitch will be joining us. Uh, for a half hour here coming up, starting at 520. And uh, we would love to have you listen to that. David's a pastor, a theologian, a professor, a prolific writer. Going to give us some encouragement and talk about the church uh, in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, amongst other things. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, did want to share some good news. Want to start this hour with some good news uh, out of Willow Creek. So uh, unfortunately, we, neither of us have really enjoyed this part, but over the last year, year and a half, when we've talked about Willow, when we've talked about Harvest, it's always felt a little dark and it's always felt um, just kind of sad. And uh, some good news then we wanted to highlight out of Willow Creek yesterday as they announced their new senior pastor. He's from Michigan, a mega church pastor, it says here in Christianity Today, uh, by the name of uh, Dave Dummett. And uh, you, Ian, uh, have a have a relationship with him. So why don't you tell us a little <laughs> bit about him? And then you and I just wanted to celebrate for Willow and and say we're praying for you and hope this goes well. But why don't you tell us about Dave? Yeah, so Dave Dummett um, was a Wheaton kid. So so you and I, you and I, you and him both uh, attended Wheaton around the same time. He right. planted He's a little older 242. Than me. He's a little older, yeah. He planted 242 which is uh, all around southeastern Michigan, which is where all my family lives. So I have a particular affection for that part of the world. But he also did his leadership residence uh, at the Yellow Box with Community Christian Church, Dave and John Ferguson and that team there. It's a part of the New Thing Network, which we started at Community. So um, I've taught at 242. I've been to conferences with Dave. I've had conversations with him and his staff. And on, like honestly, just an all-around good dude kingdom-minded, humble. He's like a leader of leaders too, which is a lot of what I think Willow needs. Uh, I just think he he gives away leadership. I think he raises up leaders. I think he's highly committed to the gospel, to discipleship, to the local church, to church planting, leadership development. I, In fact, um, we're having Ed Stetzer on the show tomorrow. Right. And in this Christianity Today article, Ed Stetzer, which some of you will know, is the executive director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College, he said that Dummett is the right person to lead Willow. He says this, David is a great choice for Willow, a Wheaton grad who has led a growing church that seeks to be on mission for its community. I think that is totally spot on. And I I just could not be happier for him and his family. And I think, like you were saying too, it's been unfortunate the last year, anytime that we've had to really talk about 
Willow or Harvest has been more out of like pain and grief. And so it does my heart really, really good to, to not only be able to celebrate this win for Willow, but to also on top of that, for it to be someone that I know and trust and appreciate and look up to. And I, I just think, yeah, I think David and his wife and their family is going to be uh, just an incredible, an incredible uh, gift to Willow, but not just Willow, to Chicagoland and really probably the world, right? Willow's reach yeah. is, is global. And I, yeah, I'm really, really excited for them. I'm praying for them. And I'm excited for what the future holds. Yeah. So I heard two things from you there. The first is uh, you have an in, so he should be on the show soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, we're, he might be a little busy for a while. Might be a little busy. <laughs> uh, but secondly, uh, it's a new day. And, and as the church here in Chicago, we're pastors, but uh, for all of us, you know, Willow is a big deal and uh, a lot of people, and it's, it's uh, gone through a really hard time here. And uh, it's no easy task to be kind of the next guy in uh, after all that's happened. And so uh, I think we need to be praying for him and his family, but also for the church as a whole. But also, I don't know, man, when I read this, it felt the wording too just felt like, okay, a new day. And, and you just kind of allows you to dream. My guess is if you're part of that church, it's, it's the first time in a while it's kind of allowed you to dream. Like, okay, who are we yeah. going to be? Right. What's going to happen going forward? And uh, we see it all the time, not just in churches, but in scripture where God grows new things uh, out of pain and out of brokenness. And it's been a very painful season yeah. uh, for Willow uh, over the past, you know, two years or so. And so we, we want to say, yeah, you know, God can, God can birth new things uh, out of painful circumstances. And that's our hope. And I'm sure uh, that's his hope coming down. And uh, I think all of us uh, need, to, need to be prayerful because, you know, Willow, like you just said, has a worldwide influence. And so all that's happened there in the last two years uh, hasn't just hurt that church or the Chicagoland. It's, it's been painful, uh, you know, around the globe. Uh, and so let's be praying for them and pray that uh, that this new leadership uh, of Dave Dummett will be able to really birth some cool stuff in Willow and in the Chicago land around us. Yeah. And I, I think that just to reiterate too, this isn't just a win for Willow. I think, you know, this is where you and I live and pastor and raise our families, you know, Chicago land, I think needs some of these wins. And the other thing that I didn't mention before, apart from all of the things that I think make Dummett a great choice. He's also just really fun. Like he just doesn't take himself too seriously. It was like one of the first things I noticed that he's just a, he's like magnetic in that regard. And I think there's a, a real joy to that. Not that like everyone, obviously there's a, a place for everyone's different wirings everywhere. Um, but I'm, I'm just appreciative of like his willingness to, you know, not necessarily take himself too seriously, to be willing to laugh at himself. I mean, literally even just watching the video that uh, he and his wife and his leaders posted to the church family uh, about this decision, it was like, it was real and raw and honest. Mm. And then also wasn't afraid to like laugh a little and to smile and celebrate. Like it just felt like my wife and I were both watching it together. And we're like, man, that just struck the right tone. I don't, I don't know that I have, I don't have a, like a rule book for like what, what, a, what <laughs> yeah. a video like that should look like. And the fact that it has to be via video right now, where probably otherwise it'd be like a congregational meeting or 
some kind of meet and greet. Like we can't do that right now. And in a weird way, it felt like a gift that I was able to, to watch it because for me, it was like, man, that's, that's how you send a pastor well. You know, because he started yeah. 242 a little over 15 years ago. I think they planted three campuses in the last year alone. Like Gosh. they're, I mean, Stetzer wasn't kidding. Like they, they've been really crushing it there in Southeastern Michigan. And, and to be honest, like there's a number of really close people in my life that um, have been deeply impacted by 242. So there's a certain level of like intimacy in that regard for me. Like, man, I'm grateful for the people that uh, have been affected by their leadership and influence and it is, it's just exciting to, it's exciting to see that this kind of win for Chicago land. And I'm, I'm yeah. really, I'm excited. I'm excited about what the future holds for sure. Yeah. To, to what you said, Ed Stetzer said, Dave has a reputation for being a fun guy. I'd like to, I would like somebody to write that if they ever read an article about me. <laughs> I'll, I'll write an article about you, Brian. Yeah. Uh, but it is a new day in the Chicago land, right? You also think of within the last month or two, uh, a new pastor got hired at Moody Church. And uh, I would think when the, whenever someone's hired at Harvest, it's going to be just kind of this whole new guard that will be really interesting to see, you know, uh, what role that plays in shaping uh, the evangelical church around Chicagoland. So uh, we wanted to bring that up just to say to celebrate with the people of Willow and to say we're praying for you and for your new pastor and, uh, and also to be praying for the church he's leaving in Michigan. Uh, that's hard. Yeah, uh, so be praying for them, but also just to say, you know, God grows new things out of brokenness and out of hard times, and that's what we look forward to watching and celebrating uh, with a church like Willow Creek. So uh, you can find the article about him and about Willow at our Facebook page, The Common Good uh, Radio Show. Coming up next, pastor, author, professor, theologian David Fitch is going to join us next uh, here on The Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. And one of the things we've been trying to do uh, for the life of our show, but especially in this season uh, of so much uncertainty and so much change in our lives, in our churches, is we've been trying to get other voices in pastors, theologians, other people. And uh, with that in mind, we couldn't be more thrilled than uh, we are to be joined by David Fitch right now. David, thanks for joining us today. Couldn't be uh, more pleased to be with you two guys finally. I think we've been talking about coming on for uh, a year or two now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Almost since the beginning of the show, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for doing it. Uh, Why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our audience? Let them know who you are. Yeah, uh, I am a professor of uh, theology and mission at uh, Northern Seminary, which is, uh, well, we got a Lyle campus, Lyle, (laughs) Illinois, which is a west suburb, and we got a campus in Lawndale and a South Shore campus in Chicago, so we have three campuses, and then I'm a pastor at a church plant with three other pastors here in Mm -hmm. Westmont, Illinois, Mm -hmm. called Peace of Christ Church. That church was planted by another church I planted with my wife. Uh, Life on the Vine Christian Community in the Northwest Suburbs. That's still going strong. Uh, so I'm a pastor and a professor and a lover of ice hockey. And uh, that's about it. <laughs> I love it. All right. So to, to tease it up, I'm going to ask you a little bit later in the show. You wrote a book called Faithful Presence. And 
the idea of being present right now feels like very, very odd and difficult to achieve. But before we tackle that, though, you were looped into a bit of a boxing match between Kerry Newhoff and Michael Frost, and Jeff Holtzclaw, talking about is this current reality good or bad for the church? I'd love to hear from your own lips. Like, do you think overall this current cultural moment will be good for the church going forward or something different? <laughs> that's, that's amazing. You know, uh, <laughs> Jeff Holzclaw and I, uh, we go back to life on the vine days when he was the kind of the worship pastor teaching guy. I was the teaching pastor, the organizational guy. And uh, we, we've been through, we wrote a book together. We've been through a lot together. So, uh, so he, he, he's now in Grand Rapids at a vineyard church. And uh, by the way, Grand Rapids, I mean, that's the center of uh, kind of Christian reformed Calvinist evangelical <laughs> Christianity. Right. It's, it's, you know, and so he's taking pot shots at me and uh, Mike <laughs> and Frosty uh, <laughs> and, uh, about, uh, and, and, and really I was just innocently uh, putting Frost's post on my Facebook feed, which by the way, everybody can follow it. Um, and uh, the point was, I think Frost was making, the point was, hey, are we, now, I, I put it like this. Are we counting butts on the internet uh, versus <laughs> butts in the seats now? And are we counting church growth by how many people we get to show up on an internet feed of our services? Mm-hmm. Right. And I said, and, and, and so he was taking a shot at Kerry Newhoff, which, who's a Canadian kind of church growth guy. And I thought it was a very legitimate conversation. And Jeff complained and said, we, we shouldn't be bringing old uh uh, analyses from 19, well, actually 2001, you know, when a lot of us were, were kind of worried about the attractional nature of the church and that we were losing our incarnation, our abilities to engage incarnationally. Mm-hmm. So that's the backdrop of the, of, of what happened. And I, I think, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I got to go back and Jeff read, Jeff wrote so much. I, I really couldn't keep track of it, but he said, we should be at this time reaching out to as many people through as many means as possible. Mm. And who, okay. Who, who among you, Ian or Brian wouldn't agree with whole school mm-hmm. on that. I mean, he's kind of setting, uh, setting himself up for a, a no lose. <laughs> um, but, but even I agree with him on that. But what I do worry about, is that we now focus on using our various technological abilities hmm. to gather an audience as far and wide as we can. Yeah. And we lose the local nature and the relational nature of the church. Hmm. And I believe that's where God works. And so we do have to discern and be careful about this. Wouldn't you two guys agree? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm curious, Dave, as a pastor, uh, how are you spending your time uh, now that we're all in our homes and social distancing? What's what's your week and your days kind of look like? Yeah, I mean, I find myself more busy uh, uh, than I was before, frankly, uh, mm. and, and maybe more distracted than I was before uh, mm. because um, I have a 15-year-old and he's in here <laughs> doing his schoolwork. And I have a wife who works in the school system, and she's doing her Zoom conference meetings. And, and then the dog's uh, going crazy because he's not so <laughs> many people all during the day. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I like to focus on a couple of things right now. And I, I've written a few pieces, I think, an Outreach Magazine and Missio Alliance webpage and so forth, where I've tried to say, okay, 
internet is good. We need to find ways to connect. And we've got the instruments like the Zoom platform to be able to do this. But let's not like broadcast our services so as to like go attract as many new viewers as possible. Yeah. Let's, let's focus on bringing our people who we have together and in relationship and preach the gospel and encourage one another and uh, kind of incite or encourage people in their local engagements on their blocks hmm. because there are hurting people. Mm-hmm. There are needs in the neighborhood and we can safely make ourselves known and available to minister to people probably like never before because yeah. people are lonelier than they've been before. Right. And, and people, uh, especially the vulnerable are needier than they were before. And they're willing to receive, um, uh, kind of engagements of hospitality and welcome and, you know, like a simple thing like putting a little note up and down my block uh, mm. saying, hey, we know uh, during this season some of us are going to be getting sick. Some of us are afraid. Some of us are not going to be able to get out. Here's mm. my phone number. Here's my uh, email address. If you need anything, we'll try to help as much as we can. And, of course, we've already had – Oh, oh, I think six, five or six requests and gotten to know these neighbors in ways we haven't Wow! Uh, just, just through that little act. And mm-hmm. so anyways, there are ways to engage that I think we need to uh, take advantage of. The other thing is um, we do little house groups on uh, almost totally on zoom now, but mm-hmm. they connect us locally. And then we go up and down the streets and say hi, knock on the door, and just encourage one another. And we go up and down the streets and encourage various people who, you know, the garbage man, the mailman, the mm. person working in the grocery store. And we're just trying to be there as a force for the presence of God um, to encourage and bless our neighborhoods during this very difficult time. That's really good. You, you mentioned a little earlier, uh, Missio Alliance, which I know you write for a number of people. We actually reference Missio Alliance on this uh, show a lot. And just a little bit ago, you posted an article that uh, Derek Vreeland wrote called Ecclesiology in this weird time of social distancing. Um, how much do you agree with what he, what he wrote there? And like, what would you say maybe are some challenges for pastors specifically in thinking through their, their own ecclesiology? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Derek was getting, to the uh, um, to some of what I was already saying ab- mm. about the embodied nature of the mm. church and the sacramental nature of the church, and that we uh, during this time, you know, uh, we're feeling that loss, and we mm. shouldn't diminish that loss. Right. But we should um, make space to recognize that loss, and and even. Uh, the longing to be together again. I remember when our church, I'm talking now about Peace of Christ here in Westmont, um, we had struggles getting our local house gatherings in the neighborhood going. So we shut down the morning service and we said, everything we do here, we're going to do in our homes. And we met 10, 12 adults plus children in our homes in the various parts of our town. And we did this for four or five months. And um, uh, I remember when we came back, uh, we were just so excited to be together again, mm. sharing in the Lord's table and the proclamation of the, of the gospel. And I think that's maybe 
some of what Derek was going after. Let's not lose the embodied nature of the church because in the end, I believe people get saved through uh, intense present relationships Mm. one with another. And so we're, yes, use this technology, but let's at least recognize its limitations even while we're doing it. That's good. Absolutely. Well, you're listening to David Fitch, who we couldn't be more excited to stay in for a second segment. So we're going to go to break, but then when we come back, uh, David's going to stay here with Ian and I. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited to be joined for a second segment by David Fitch. If you missed the first segment, we would really encourage you, go find it on our podcast or at 1160hope.com. Uh, you will be blessed for doing it. We really would love for you to do it. Uh, David's nice enough uh, to continue uh, to join us. So David, I'm, I'm curious about this book that I've read a couple of times now, actually, Faithful Presence. And uh, the subheading is Seven Disciplines That Shape the Church for Mission. You wrote it just a few years ago, but it feels like since this last month where everything has been flipped upside down, how do you actually rethink things like presence? You were talking a little bit in the last segment about some of the ways that your church is thinking about these things, but how, how much of what you wrote then to you feels like, gosh, I don't even know how we would live that out in this current reality. And, and what do you sort of predict to be the future of the church once we do eventually pull out of this? Yeah. Uh, okay. So part of the issue here is that faithful presence uh, is driven by the word presence Right. And being faithful to God's presence among us. And of course, presence is really hard mm-hmm. when you can't, when you're, when you're shut down in your house right. and presence is hard when you can't be with people. And, um, you know, all, all I can say is, uh, that, uh, first of all, uh, we are limited in, in the way we can be present to one another. You know, I think about the way prayer works. And it, I talked about it in Faithful Presence. I talked about the way prayer is the opening up of space hmm. in the midst of things happening, circumstances, situations, uh, uh, actual episodes in our neighborhood. And by praying and saying, Lord, be present in this place. Lord, your kingdom come. We repent of this and that, and we open space for you to work. And we want to, that, that's a spatial reality. So often we pray and we go to the petition part of prayer. Lord, we need this. I, I pray that this will happen, or you preserve this, or you heal this person. And, and we forget that actually God wants to work in and through all things. And so it's a very spatial present thing. So um, we have to make allowances for the fact, I mean, uh, there's a lot of people talking about Passover and how Passover was this place where people were hunkered down in their, in their houses, awaiting the angel of death to pass over. And we talk about the upper room and how, the, how God visited people in the upper room, but they're, 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 they were still together. And I, and I think we have to realize we didn't stay forever hunkered down in our homes, right. uh, but really we are preparing ourselves uh, to be reunited again and to be present in the neighborhood. Yeah. And that gets back to what I was saying in the earlier session. I hope we don't lose the uh, sense that yes, this is a time when we can spend time together and very focused time on say Zoom rooms in, in, in our house groups and so forth. But there will be a time, 
It might be another year. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But there will be a time when we will be back together again and being present and ministering the gospel, Mm -hmm. the prayers of healing, the anointings on people's lives in our neighborhood and among us in the church. So this is really uh, a time of waiting and focus and prayer uh, for a fruition that is yet to come. Yeah. How's it yeah. been being a professor during this, uh, doing the same type of stuff with your students? Uh, are they doing well through this, or is it just really too different to, uh, to be effective? You know, um, uh, we're just uh, is it three or four weeks into this quarter, and um, all the other professors are teaching from their home. I, I felt like kind of – so uh, Northern Seminary has these rather large kind of expensive technologically uh, – uh, equipped classrooms. And if you just go in, there's like 10 sets of cameras and they're all moving around the classroom. I go in there by myself. And then I have literally you have 35 to 40 students on a big screen. And I thought I was dreading this. I thought, Oh man, no one's going to be in the classroom. Normally I have like 15, 20 people in the classroom, 20 people on the screen. Everybody's on the screen now. Right. So far, I must say it's, it's going well. Good. But I will say this. We have intensives for all our students, whether they're, uh, you know, in San Antonio, Texas, or Chicago, and we spend a week together every year. So I am still looking forward to getting back to the intensives where we get to spend time together, too. But everything's going well at Northern, uh, better than, I think, for a lot of other schools, because we're used to this online approach to education. Mm. Okay, so another thing I want to ask you about is your most recent book, The Church of Us Versus Them. And mm-hmm. it feels like, you know, while everyone's talking about coronavirus, pandemic, all of that stuff, it feels like uh, a close second in that conversation is how <laughs> divided we are. And it feels like times of crisis have a way of sort of amplifying or highlighting maybe divisions that already existed. Yeah. And you, you just happen to have written a book about sort of this us versus them dichotomy that we so often fall into. Can you tell me a little bit more about the book and how the book uh, sort of speaks to this particular cultural moment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it couldn't be more obvious uh, than what (laughs) we're going through right now, where uh, normally uh, the coronavirus, a virus, something that's killing people, would bring us together and actually discern what do we do now on the ground. Uh, in terms of stay-at-home policies or or other things that we can do. But instead, it's turned into a, uh ideological battle, uh, us mm-hmm. against them. It's shocking. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, you, you know, I, I write a lot in that book. I kind of tried to simplify how this ideological machine works. It always extracts us out of the discernments and the discipleship that we need to be doing together on the ground and start, we start arguing over against those people who disagree with us on a particular issue. That's what's happening now with the coronavirus. It's a tragedy. It is against, this is the way the enemy works. Mm -hmm. So can the church gather and can we be the presence of Christ and witness that we are not going to engage in this, but we are going to minister to people. We're going to care for people. We're going to stay at home, but we're going to stay together. And we're going to work this out on the ground in every nook and cranny, town and village, mm-hmm. city and place in this country. That's the challenge. That's what I think if I had written that book today, it was published, I think, six months ago. If I wrote it today, that's what I'd be saying about the coronavirus mm-hmm. thing. So you guys, you need to keep pushing. We need to stay together. 
We need to discern what the Spirit's doing and calling us to minister and discern what is God calling us to do and be in this time. I love that. That's really well put. So with the election coming up and the coronavirus, all this stuff, what's a, you know, a piece of advice you give either to pastors or just the lay people on how to be more unifiers than to be divisive? Maybe one or two things that they can uh, be watching for. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, this is hard to answer in two minutes. No. Like, <laughs> we'll give you that. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say uh, a couple of things. Folks, let's, let's, ma- let's make observations about what's going on politically. Let's, let's ask good questions about what's going on politically. Let's, let's engage the issue. Let's not shrink mm. uh, away from it because we have to be witnesses that mm. this and this and this is not of God. But in the end, God's not going to save the United States of America through the U.S. government. God is going to redeem and work for his purposes through the church and so we've got to focus on who we are and ministering the gospel in our local places of mission. And mm. uh, so, so that's, that's about the best I can do in about yeah. two minutes. No, that's perfect. That, just as we're wrapping up too, where can people go to learn more about you, websites, Twitter, Facebook, any of that stuff? Where, where would you recommend yeah. people go to learn more? I have a Facebook page uh, and it's easy to follow David Fitch. I think it's Fitch and you can just follow me on there. We have all our conversations, including the one you referred to last session <laughs> there. I'm on Twitter <laughs> at Fitch uh, You can find that uh, there and, and miss you Alliance. I have a page there where every once in a, once in a while I write things as well as other websites, but those are the main places. Love Thanks it. a lot guys for ha- having me and for giving me an opportunity here to talk. Well, man, thank pleasure, you man. so much. You you did just get a friend request on Facebook from me as you were saying that. So, <laughs> uh, David, we would love to have you back sometime. We are really grateful for this time that you've given to us. So, uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Thank you for joining us today. All right. Be my pleasure. Good to be with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, likewise, guys. man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You've listened to David Fitch. Uh, this is The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. That music can only mean one thing, interweb insanity that we know today is coming from our executive producer, Keith Conrad. Uh, These are stories that we have not seen, uh, audio that we have not heard, uh, but hopefully will provide us all with some laughs. Ian, before you read the first one, why don't you tell us one more time about Thriving today? <laughs> what, what a segue. Uh, all right. So Thriving Financial, if you've not heard of them, I highly encourage you to check it out. Thrivent.com. I've been a Thrivent member for what? Probably seven years, eight years, which is a miracle. I'm, I'm like really glad someone suggested it. In fact, I met them because two other local pastors in Bartlett where I was at we're wanting to put on a marriage conference and Thrivent like came alongside and made it possible for us to host this marriage conference. So already I was like, all right, I'm interested in these people. Like they, they really love the local church. They love caring for pastors and they also just love helping people be wise with their money. So uh, I, I mentioned it for two reasons. One, I definitely encourage you to check them out. But two, if you're looking for a career change or maybe interested in changing trajectory a little bit, I, I think Thrivent would be an incredible company to work for. Uh, you can learn more if you want at thrivent.com slash careers. That's thrivent.com slash careers. Or just simply pick up that telephone, that mm-hmm. landline or that rotary and dial 630-598-2128. And uh, tell them that I sent you. 
You want me to go first? Is that what you're saying? I do. I do. I like our order. Cool. This is two good segues in our show so far, isn't it? This is <laughs> limping to the finish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, Massachusetts loose goat visits Massachusetts liquor store. Sure. Police in Massachusetts said a goat found wandering outside a liquor store was safely reunited with its owner. The the Worcester Police Department said animal control officer Pat Cherry, that's a dope name, responded Sunday to a report of a loose goat wandering outside McGovern's package store. Cherry found the goat curled up behind a UPS drop-off box, apparently confused and exhausted. The goat was captured using a catch pole and taken into custody before later being reunited with its owner. Someday when we have more time, I will uh, tell you the story of the time when I was a kid that we had a goat uh, that got cornered in our garage and it leapt over one of our cars and scratched it all up. It feels like you pretty much just told me that story just now. Oh, it gets better. There's more to it. It's a good story. Next one's out of Maryland. Maryland police remember to wear pants while checking the mail. Okay. Mm. A a Maryland police department shared a cryptic warning to a local resident who apparently has a habit of checking their mail without pants during the coronavirus lockdown. The Tannytown Police Department posted a reminder to its Facebook page that appears to be specifically aimed at an unnamed resident. The post serves, though, as a reminder that despite the COVID-19 pandemic, some dress code rules remain in effect. (laughs) Please remember to put pants on before leaving the house to check your mailbox. You know who you are. This is your final warning, the post states. For God's sake, put some clothes on. I keep seeing videos crop up, too, of people on, like, business conference zooms and they think that they're muting their video and then they get they get up from the table and they walk around and they're in their underwear and of course the very fact that we're seeing it means somebody was filming it and uploaded it you know which is amazing all right out of texas a costco worker tracks down customer to return 194 dollars. we did this one yesterday it's still good news <laughs> that's true that's true i'll just end it there the next one uh, out of my home state of new jersey Man broke into funeral home, stripped naked, left cold beer in casket. Hmm. A New Jersey man broke into an old Forge funeral home Saturday night, stripped naked, and left a cold beer in a display casket. Ethan Palazzo, age 30, is charged with burglary, criminal trespass, and criminal mischief. Police said Palazzo kicked open the side door to the Thomas Kearney funeral home. Palazzo, uh, who smelled of alcohol, told police he did not have a reason for breaking in, then said he just wanted to speak with his girlfriend. Uh, He was nude when he was arrested. Police said he stripped naked inside the funeral home and left his clothing on the floor of the morgue and office. He also appeared to have rifled through the closet, remaining containing the morgue's chemicals, though it was not clear if he took anything. I'm not dead. Yeah, he says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't. Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Uh, You know... It always surprises me when I read things like he just kicked the door in. I was like, I didn't, does that happen in real life? Like, I don't, maybe I, I've just been skipping too much leg day, but I've never kicked the door in. Jeez Louise. All right. Last but not least, out of Thailand, uh, zoo forces chimp to ride bike, spray park with coronavirus disinfectant. Y'all got to see this photo. It's a monkey Great. on a bike with the mask on and a tank. Okay. Disturbing footage from a zoo in Thailand shows a chimpanzee forced to sanitize the facility from the coronavirus. The clip from the, I can't even pretend to pronounce that, near Bangkok obtained the sun captures the poor primate wearing a surgical face mask, denim shorts, and an orange Hawaiian shirt, pedaling a kid's bicycle with disinfectant tanks strapped to the back. Animal rights group PETA slammed the zoo and called the treatment of the chimp heartbreaking. Places like this are hellholes where animals like this chimpanzee endure miserable 
lives in captivity every single day. They are uh, routinely mistreated and no little more and no little more than chains. Huh? When they're used for human entertainment, they're held in cramped cages. That is uh, a sad note to end on. <laughs> Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! So, so that story ended so fu- started so funny, like a well, chip I feel, on a bug. I, I, I thought he was. I started the story. And I saw the photo. And I was like, man, he's enjoying it. And then it just turned dark. It got really, really dark. Like that thing really started. Dark. Like, oh, what a fun story to end on. And now they're like, he's in chains. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, jeez, Louise. Hey, if you missed any of today's show. Uh, including David Fitch. Go find it uh, on our podcast or at 1160hope.com. We're glad to be with you today. We'll be with you tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.